Wednesday, and it's Wednesday following New Hampshire's primary. The results are in. Any surprises? What's the path forward? I don't know. We do have somebody who's got some idea, though. His name is Jason Matthews. He's a friend of ours, a political science professor, or political science instructor, I should say, giving you a promotion out there out of Bismarck State College and, of course, the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, our usual go-to. We used to do a podcast, What the Hell Happened This Week? Uh, any... Any idea what's going on in the world? I mean, New Hampshire comes in and. Well, we, we stopped doing the podcast because we couldn't keep up with everything uh, that was going exhausting. on. Exhausting. Yeah. No surprises last night. Uh, Nikki Haley got the two person race she wanted. She didn't get the results that she had hoped for. And if there was any, it should have been put to rest last night. Uh, this is Donald Trump's Republican Party. He has remade the Republican Party in his image. Um, it is a populist working class party. Uh, the party of Ronald Reagan is dead as a doornail and as extinct as a dinosaur. That transition, as you just said, though, that, that, that working class mentality, I mean, that was the Democratic Party for so long, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the United Auto Workers Union just endorsed Joe Biden uh, just within the last two hours, right? And that uh, union base, that labor, all of that was just a shoe in for Democrats. How'd that change? How did Donald Trump, of all people, the guy that has a golden toilet, be able to convince the 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 workforce that that average man and woman out there, right, the one that's the quote forgotten men and women, how how has he captivated that into the Republican Party? I think that Donald Trump has very successfully been able to capture the imagination of a, a significant segment of the working class population because he is to many of them the image of what a successful rich person is and he is a at his core a media being um you know he would not be where he is today if he had been a real estate developer in chicago or los angeles or anywhere else other than new york because new york is the media capital of the united states and the apprentice went a long ways in 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 framing the image of Trump as a successful business person in the eyes of many. And also at the same time, the, the Democratic Party, um, going back to the 1990s, had seen itself um, moving more uh, more aligned with, with corporate interests, uh, and then the education divide. And what really, what really happens, the education divide, is the social issues come into play there. And you know, working class voters are spread out evenly across the country. Um, professional college educated voters, they're concentrated in the cities and the suburbs. They're more socially liberal, uh, more affluent, and the Democratic Party plays to that. Whereas working class voters, you know, lunch pail populism, they also tend to be a little bit more conservative socially. How'd that pan out in New Hampshire? Because not Democrat, Republican, which we will get into that because Joe Biden, who wasn't even on a ballot, had a write-in campaign uh, you know, by volunteers that actually had a pretty good showing, in my opinion, of him. But you had Nikki Haley, Donald Trump are the last two uh, Republican candidates right now. And mm -hmm. I had asked our CBS correspondent yesterday, what number does Nikki Haley need to get as far as percentage of the vote to be able to continue on? And I, I didn't get a real clear answer to that, but she ended up with 44% of the vote when it comes to Republicans and those independents. Was that primarily in those college-educated areas, those cities you're talking about? Or break that down for me. What happened in those results on the Republican side that she says this party and this race isn't over? 
No, she she swept those areas of New Hampshire where they were uh, highly uh, highly affluent college educated voters. Um, she she beat Trump. I think she won sixty uh, percent of the vote amongst college educated voters. She won women. Um, his his weakness, oh, Trump's weakness with college educated women, was particularly pronounced last night when you look at the exit polls. He only won thirty six percent support amongst college educated women. Um, among college graduates, he only went 39%. So Haley got 58% there. Uh, that's a danger sign. There's a lot, there are a lot of flashing red warning signs for Trump in Iowa and in New Hampshire. Top of mind for me, looking at that, is his weakness amongst moderates and independents because he is keeping his base. He has that Republican base. They're not going anywhere for him, but he's not bringing over any moderates or independents. And, and there's a misconception about Trump 2016 that I want to clear up here. A lot of people think that Trump was the candidate of conservatives in 2016. He actually won these contests by winning over moderate, self-described moderate Republicans, because the conservatives are going over with Ted Cruz. Well, now we have the reverse. The conservatives are now with, with Donald Trump. But the problem for him is that the moderates and independents are those swing voters that are going to decide the election in November. And right now they're not with him. That's what when you say the, the warning signs, you're talking about the general because, I mean, this is Donald Trump's party. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it shows it. There's th What percentage would you give Nikki Haley doing a long-term upset? I, I mean, zero? <laughs> you know, there isn't one. There's not a path, right? There's no path for her. She can, I mean, we have some time now between last night and when South Carolina votes. She can go down there. She can make it a slugfest. She can stand the race and, and warn Republicans about the dangers of Donald Trump. You can nominate this guy and then what happens if he goes to trial and then he's convicted uh, in November. She can be the last person standing uh, or she can just follow the path of all the other Republican candidates and that is get out. And, and endorse him and move on. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's a difficult choice for her because she clearly, um, the frustrating thing if you're Nikki Haley is if you look at every poll and every metric, if she were the Republican nominee, she'd win the presidency. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's going back to this now being their party. Uh, we were told last election and the election before there's this red wave coming, you know, look out, and it, it didn't happen. Right. And now you're looking, everyone's like, okay, these, these signs are there. Joe Biden, there's no way. And yet you see, yes, dominating in the Republican primaries and caucuses, but he's not exactly looking like that big, strong candidate necessarily in a general election. We're talking about independence. I mean, how many of those Haley voters yesterday alone said there is no way, zero chance I vote for Donald Trump in November? I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean they go, Joe Biden might be a third-party candidate if we get there, which is a whole other topic of conversation. Or they don't vote. Well, there's that as well. So, I mean, all those signs right there alone shows that all the the hype about this big, strong candidacy coming from Donald Trump, are you buying it? I, I'm not. I'm not. Because the danger here for Trump is now the race is over. Uh, and we can talk about this at another time, the insanity of the way in which we pick our presidents. Uh, this uh -huh. primary process is ridiculous. January 24th, and we already know who the nominees are, and we don't vote till November 4th. Um, this, is, this is an insane system. But be that as it may, 
I think he is a far weaker candidate than he was in 2016 or 2020. Um, I think that, you know, he's going to hold his base. But I keep coming back and I look at the math. And we, we'll talk about Joe Biden in a moment and the issues that he, and challenges he faces. But if you didn't vote for Trump in 16 and you didn't vote for him in 20, what's going to move you to vote for him in 24? I haven't found a voter who says, you know, I haven't voted for him twice before, but, you know, think about voting for him now. We can find, and we see it in the data, many voters who voted for him twice before who are saying never again. And that's that's the danger for Trump. And then if you look at Trump in his performance in the rallies, um, and that's his comfort zone, because he has not gone on the debate stage with any of the Republican candidates. You look at him, there is a clear indication, you know, for all the talk that we have about Biden losing, losing his swing. Um, you look at Trump, it's not the same Trump that we saw and have seen over the years. And, you know, not to be flippant about it, but I will, uh, you know, I look at I look at Trump and I, I think of old Elvis, you know, <laughs> same song, same fans, more sweat. That's, <laughs> that's what because he's not saying anything new. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, because I mean, last night, even after winning in New Hampshire, he's talking about the rigged 2020 election. So banging that drum of lying mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to take a step back because there's a couple of threads I get from listeners here. One is what you just pointed out. Voted for him uh, the first time, the second time, absolutely will not the next time. I, I mean, I just got that yesterday going into the New Hampshire primary conversation. Uh, the second thing that I get is what you're pointing out is the, the process itself, so outdated. In fact, I had one, uh, and I think they um, have self-identified as a Republican, talking about this is a the rigged election. You know, we talk about... Uh, the outcomes in November. It's what happens before. We don't even want either of these candidates. We're going to be stuck with both of them. Uh, nothing. We can't do anything about this. I mean, hey, look, we're moving on from Iowa. The caucus is down there or one thing. But, uh, I mean, this is the system, and it will be Joe Biden. It will be Donald Trump, right? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, there could be intervening events, of course. I mean, let's look at the fact that Trump is is going to be on trial. Uh, you know, he's going to try to delay it. He's going to try to run out the clock here. But barring anything unforeseen, he's going to be on trial for January 6th at some time in, in the spring or early summer. That's likely going to end up with a conviction. Uh, then we have that to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have an intervening event, obviously, with both of these men because of their age. I mean, Joe Biden is 81, but Donald Trump is going to be 78 here in June, um, you know, so barring anything unforeseen, these are going to be the two the two candidates. The reason that we have the system that we have today is because the parties have lost their primacy. Uh, the parties don't control anything anymore. We don't have the conventions anymore. They're they're, they're coronations. We have we have, uh, and as a political science instructor here, I'll come out and say it: there is such a thing as too much democracy. Uh, there is too much democracy when it comes to the selection of party candidates because the parties are now captive to the base or to the the uh, the inmates in the asylum, if you will, and that fits for both political parties. We talked on Trump. Uh, South Carolina is next up. Nikki Haley's got a month to spend a lot of money, a lot of time, and I still don't think it's going to uh, overcome the uphill battle that she's got. Uh, you know, may, maybe make some headway, and I, I do think – as you pointed out, the pointing out from people like Nikki Haley on that side saying, look, he's just he's lost a step has been effective. That has been used by every Republican against Joe Biden. 
So I think <laughs> you know people are saying, well, that's clearly the downfall of Joe Biden. I don't buy that. I, I think when push comes to shove, people will get past any age conversation and there'll be other issues. Am I completely wrong in that? I've, For example, I've talked about uh, the immigration reform, right? The Senate bipartisan uh, bill that's taking shape right now, it's not going to go anywhere because the House is too scared to actually get a win. I think that carries more weight against Joe Biden than age. Am I off? No, I think I think that the albatross around Biden right now is not the economy. It's the southern border. Uh, the economy, the economic clouds are starting to lift. You see the gas prices are down. Stock market is at record highs. They're expecting interest rate cuts this year coming down from the from the Fed. Wages are rising. It's outpacing inflation. Spending is up. I mean, all the economic clouds are clearing right now. And if you're Joe Biden, they couldn't come soon enough. But the southern border is a real crisis, and it is gross political incompetence and mismanagement by presidents of both parties for the last 20 years. And it is an issue that can easily cost Biden the White House because a little history here with illegal immigration, illegal immigration is an issue that always impacts working class voters. Because if you're a working class voter, chances are pretty good that you're working in a trade. And you look at a, at, a, at an immigrant, you're thinking they're going to come for your job. Where if you are a college-educated professional, which is now the base of the Democratic Party, and you live in suburbia or in a larger city, your interactions with immigrants is as a peer, as a highly educated peer professional, or in the service industry. Immigration is a ticking time bomb politically for Joe Biden. Uh, and the fact that they're dealing with it now in 2024, when it's been a crisis for four years, shows um, is to me inexplicable. And I'll just do this as a comparison. If Bill Clinton were president, that issue would have been solved in the first year because Bill Clinton intuitively understood that you take the issue that the other side is going to use against you and you take it away from them. You solve the issue, you solve the problem. And the time to have done that was in the two years that the Democrats controlled the Congress and they did nothing. Right, and that's part of the record low approval ratings uh, you know, right now for Joe Biden this late in. I know they've upticked, I saw a poll in Pennsylvania, for example, that shows Biden with a seven point lead in that state. But I mean, there are warning signs here and I've been hearing it, Nikki Haley, not going against Joe Biden, but necessarily going against Kamala Harris. Smart play? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a very smart play. They will use her as as a wedge, as as a boogeyman. That is, you know, I, I talked about the, the warning signs for Trump. There are warnings for Biden. You know, as I mentioned, his age. He can't do anything about his age. Uh, <laughs> I had to laugh last night because it struck me that, you know, he, he won New Hampshire, which was not an official sanctioned dnc primary but he won that pretty handedly and the thing that always gets me is that joe biden always does well when he's not campaigning and this is t- this is going to be very much i think a rose garden strategy where they're going to keep biden in the rose garden running as an incumbent and bring him out on the trail occasionally uh but the one issue that i think is is uh is a liability for him is kamala harris who has not who has approval numbers lower than biden um, and doesn't inspire a lot of confidence amongst voters. And that argument the Republicans will make is, you elect Joe Biden, you'll have President Harris um, in 2028. Smacks of ageism, of course, but it, it speaks to uh, voters' angst 
about an uncertainty about Harris. Well, I got about a minute left for you here. Uh, and plus, there's backlash on the left side too. We talk about the right, the base there, and what they're doing to the Republican Party. I mean, there there's some backlash on the far left of uh, foreign affairs, uh, of yes. climate as well, things that haven't gotten done. Uh, your take on that before I get us uh, to the CBS News update, Jason? It's a major issue because the problem that Biden has is, you know, Trump has a high floor and a low ceiling. Uh, Biden has a higher ceiling, but he's going to need every vote that he had in 2020. And the left, particularly on youth, are galvanized over his policies in the Middle East. And there's a real possibility here that we're we're moving towards an escalation in that conflict. And that's why there's going to be a number of intervening events. And that's a that's a real possibility of a larger Middle Eastern war. And uh, that will have huge political ramifications. And Jason, we just don't have enough time. Uh, I could be visiting with you all afternoon, but I got to get us caught up with uh, CBS National News, KFGO, and uh, get caught up with Kelly Armstrong. But Jason, it's always a, a pleasure, man. Let's do this more often through this uh, campaign, all right? Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it, Jason Taylor. Matthews, political science instructor out of Bismarck State College. I'm Tyler Axis. Congressman Kelly Armstrong joins us next year on KFGO.